भद्रम कर्णे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षिजत्रिंगुस्तुवागुंसस्तनु व्यशेम देवित यदायु स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति नूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्ति नस्ताक्ष्यो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शातिशातिशाति वी आर ऑलमोस्ट एट द एंड ऑफ the mandukya karika we're in the chapter 4 so there are four chapters as you know and the chapter 4 is alata shanti prakaranam the chapter on the quenching of the fire brand and now we know why that name has been given um we are we were on verse number um 93 so 92 and 93 wonderful words were used Uh, extraordinary things were said about our own nature that adi buddha you are this duryam pure consciousness from beginningless time from eternity to eternity you are that changelessly so adi uh, shantaha all the troubles of samsara uh, they are already quenched forever you are forever free of it and then a beautiful phrase was used ajam samyam visharadam ajam non originated you are without origin nothing caused you you are causeless and of course also nothing is produced from you the pure consciousness samyam you are ever this infinite consciousness everywhere at all times and uh, in all objects whatever there is is nothing other than you this equally you are equally the same divinity everywhere at every time and in every being in every object and that one is you samyam literally it means a homogeneous mass the sameness and then this word visharadam now visharadam in this context is translated as holy the most holy of things and just now in arati here in ashram we're singing swami abhidanandan ji's beautiful hymn to the holy mother to ma sharada devi prakritim paramam so there is a salutation there pavitram charitam yasya pavitram jeevanam tatha pavitrata swarupinyai tasyai kurmo namo namaha the one whose behavior activity is manifested a holiness is manifested usually that pavitrata is translated as pure but here uh, actually sacredness or holiness is the uh, better translation as you're thinking this is exactly the visharadam that um, gaudapada is talking about when it is manifested what does it look like this this utter holiness this very sublime um, very high luminosity that is holy mother's uh, holy mother expresses it abhidan ji says in every action pavitram this holiness is expressed the whole life is a dedicated and holy life pavitram jeevanam tatha and she is an embodiment of holiness pavitrata swarupinyai so this is visharadam this comes to the person who realizes i am who realizes one's own real nature that i am that thuriyam uh, that pure consciousness now in the next verse 90 
4 just the opposite he says if one persists in the dualistic vision that there are things other than me then that that holiness that sublimity cannot be attained so he says that in 94 Translation, there can be no perfection for people who have proclivity for multiplicity, who tread ever forever the path of duality and talk of plurality. Hence, they are traditionally held to be pitiable. So, Gaurapada, if there is one thing he loves just next to non-duality is, is to you know, poke the dualists. So, he says here that those who are obsessed with duality, bhede vicharatam sada, they, there is a, I have seen in people, there is a, almost a deep need that there must be something separate from me. There must be the other. If there is no others, I will feel lonely. No father, mother, if all are same, and no guru, shishya, Natato namata, no, no, no father, mother, if all is one mass of consciousness, how lonely that would be. You know, somebody say, how boring that would be. There is a tendency that there must be something apart from me, with which I will have relation. Um, somebody I will love, somebody to hate, somebody to ignore, somebody to feel superior to, somebody to uh, feel inferior to. Then uh, it is nice, exciting. Well, that exciting very soon turns into the nightmare called samsara. So, bhede vicharatam sada. People, um, there is this feeling that an external world must exist. Something different from me must exist. Um, this leads to a strong materialistic tendency. Uh, I have seen this in people, including religious people who have an aversion, somehow some kind of dislike for Advaita uh, that usually goes with a strong materialistic streak. And that uh, 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 an enjoyment of the, the material existence, external material existence of the world and that feels threatened. Our little individuality feels threatened. Um, so, non-duality is not possible if for those who strongly hold on to the reality of duality. Reality of duality is a very philosophical way of saying that we consider this world to be real, we consider this body to be real. Uh, one very good clue is tremendous body-centeredness, my health, uh, tremendous fear of disease, um, uh, fear of old age, fear of um, you know losing youth and beauty and all. So, this kind of uh, strong body-centeredness uh, it prevents an understanding of non-duality. If that is there, you will notice that person uh, finds it difficult to understand. The person may be very intelligent, very well trained in science or philosophy or something, but there is a deep inside that person feels, no, 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 this is not true. This Advaita, what they are saying is not true. Sri Krishna pointed, out it, uh, pointed it out in the Bhagavad Gita. Arjuna asked, which is the easier path, the dualistic path of bhakti or this non-dualistic path which you are teaching? And Krishna said, 
अव्यक्ता ही गतिर्दुखम देहवद्भीरवाप्यते फॉर दोज हु आर वेरी बॉडी सेंटर्ड लिटरली इट मीन्स दोज हु आर एम्बॉडीड देहवत मीन्स विथ बॉडी फॉर देम नॉन ड्यूएलिटी द पैस्ट पैथ ऑफ द अनमैनिफेस्टेड रियालिटी दैट दिस नॉन ड्यूएल फिलोसॉफी इज वेरी डिफिकल्ट फॉर देम नाउ विथ बॉडी एवरीबडी इज विथ बॉडी anybody who comes to vedanta class you need a body to come to vedanta class so body we all have body we are all embodied but what does dehavat mean too much body centered that uh, everything we take this to be the reality and then you teach me whatever but don't challenge this i am this one then becomes becomes very difficult uh, for such a person because that body centeredness is the root of duality i am this and the rest is not me and then you tell me anything else after that <laughs> so this is what gaudapada is also condemning or pointing out here bhede vicharatam sada not only ordinary people or materialistic people or worldly people but philosophers highly trained scholars uh, here he calls them prithakvada vada means a philosophy um, a point of view prithakvada means those who say that there are separate things from us from atma anatma strong belief in the existence of anatma atma is there but apart from me other realities separate from me they are there so prithakvada bheda nimna those who are always under duality tasmat te kripana smritaha they will never attain this holiness of this highest point of view vaisharadyam is not possible visharada is not possible for them and therefore he says they are to be pitied kripana the word comes again and again in upanishad it says those who are just a minute those who are who do not attain enlightenment in this life those who attain enlightenment in this life they are blessed they become they attain to immortality who realize that they are brahman in this life this very self is brahman the mandukya upanishad also says ayam atma brahma this very self is brahman those who realize this they are blessed but those who do not realize it who die before becoming enlightened upanishad calls them kripanaha now this word kripana is in many indian languages it means miserly small petty person so basically in the sense that we have not really attained the goal of human life what purpose ultimate the greatest purpose of human life that we have not attained so that's why they are i think that's the, the reason the upanishads use the word kripana and godapada echoes it here and he says kripana asmita they are called they are they should be designated as kripana petty small uh, pitiable people those who have not become enlightened so very high human destiny godapada sees for us and also the vedic rishis they all see for us the high human destiny that in this life you must be enlightened swami vivekananda also you see the clear declaration the goal of human life is to manifest the divinity within us to re- realize who we are and to express it in life live the life of a jivan mukta that's actually the goal of life okay then number 95 those who few who actually become enlightened in this very life itself they are those who are enlightened those who have a liking for advaita and those who realize advaita how precious they are that he is going to say in 95 ajay samye tu ye kechid 
भविष्यन्ती सुनिश्चिता ते लोके महाज्ञाना तच्च लोको न गाहते they alone will be possessed of unsurpassable knowledge in this world who will be firm in their conviction with regard to that which is birthless and uniform but the ordinary man cannot grasp that reality those few who have a clear realization ajeda the in the unborn reality or the unoriginated what is the unoriginated reality turiya those who realize i am that samme everywhere as i said everywhere under every circumstance whatever you encounter even when you are this is important even when you are experiencing duality you are seeing your own body you are experiencing other people relationships are appearing problems good and bad things are appearing in life and yet this this enlightened being sees sameness everywhere the same brahman inside and outside with eyes closed and eyes open that state those who attain that state in this life and he says sunishchitah kechit very few but sunishchitah means those who have firm the clarity absolute strong realization about this not wavering not that it was clear in the mandukya class but not clear afterwards he is not talking about us not that case doubtful case no the those who are absolutely clear effortlessly they know that i am brahman those ones are very few and they are very fortunate they are to be praised mahagyana they are the ones of unsurpassable wisdom they have known the truth the rest of us no matter how learned or how ignor- ignorant no matter how we have read entire encyclopedia from that perspective we are agyani we are ignorant because we do not know the truth they know the truth so they have that profound knowledge mahagyana the profound knowledge loke in this world in this world itself loko nagahate ordinary people do not understand them so throughout history not just non dualist not just brahmagyani uh, the you know the sages and saints throughout history often they have been derided or criticized as mad or foolish or childish or stupid we are so uh, you know we are clever because we are rich and we are powerful and we have uh, got so many degrees and we have achieved this and that what have you done nothing you're like a beggar going around you know like a crazy person so sri ramakrishna today we say paramahamsa many people consider an avatar and he was worshiped but in his own lifetime in dakshineshwar there were so many people who thought he was mad pagla babunsa the mad brahmin of dakshineshwar and it's not just sri ramakrishna many many uh, holy people so from the point of view of the worldly person loko nagahate the worldly person cannot fathom the depth of this this one who looks like a person a human being but also looks crazy is not interested in earning money not interested in name and fame um, none of the worldly goals and yet uh, extraordinary okay let me just go ahead little more that you see in every religion in every uh, civilization you will see some such extraordinary madmen of god let us say mad people of god loko nagahate people do not understand that you can put it both ways people do not understand such people such enlightened beings or they do not understand the profound wisdom of such enlightened beings because here the wisdom is called very profound 
then verse number 96 ajeshwajamasankrantam dharmeshu gyanam ishyate yato nakramate gyanam asangam te nakirtitam so what is this great knowledge that they have got which others have not it is traditionally held translation traditionally held that the knowledge inhering in the birthless souls is unborn and non relational since the knowledge has no objective relation it is said to be unattached okay first thing you need to know that the word knowledge is ambiguous here in vedanta when we say knowledge gyana the sanskrit it has two meanings so one is the knowledge that we are trying to acquire there could be worldly knowledge or the special spiritual knowledge that we are trying to acquire in the vedanta class for example so so when we get it enlightened so we are spiritually knowledgeable or we have realized it even enlightenment bodhi so that is knowledge and that's the knowledge the realization that i am that absolute reality so that's the vedantic knowledge in in uh, buddhism it's called bodhi now according to advaita vedanta our real nature is consciousness so the sanskrit word gyan also applies to that so uh, so when the word gyana knowledge is used sometimes it may mean brahman the ultimate reality or sometimes it may mean knowledge of brahman which we are trying to uh, gather and realize for ourselves so two meanings of of gyana two meanings of knowledge ultimate reality one meaning and the other meaning is the special knowledge which um, spirituality gives us helps us to overcome ignorance and we become enlightened and free so in, in two senses it is used um so here he is saying that our ultimate reality turiyam brahma whatever you call it is non relational it is first of all why is it non relational ajam non originated because it is the only reality it has no cause and it also does not change so there is no no product from it let me repeat that you the ultimate reality you have no cause no nothing precedes you and nothing comes from you really speaking it is ever the same if that is so then this this reality which we are the turiyam is non dual there is no second thing there is no second thing if there is no second thing what will it know knowledge is of something so there is no second nothing other than itself to know so therefore the knowledge or the consciousness which is your ultimate reality never comes into contact sankramati means coming into contact never comes into contact with another reality remember it does come into contact with appearances you you see and hear and smell and taste and touch uh, all sorts of things forms and sounds and smells and food and all of that so they all appear but according to gaudapada according to mandukya those are not a second reality apart from turiya so from turiya from the absolute perspective pure consciousness never comes into contact with a second reality na sankramati that's the point it is a non relational knowledge let's just say it is consciousness only and whatever you are conscious of in day to day life 
or in spiritual life when you are meditating or whatever you are doing or studying Vedanta, whatever you are conscious of, these are just appearances in consciousness. They are not really a second thing apart from consciousness. See, to come into contact with, to come into relationship with, you need two things. Consciousness plus one real thing other than consciousness. But that never is possible because there is no real thing other than consciousness. In the waking world, the waker and the waker's world, this universe we are experiencing, both are appearances in consciousness. They are not really second, not really a new thing apart from consciousness. So from that perspective, Gaurapada is always from the highest perspective. From the highest perspective, consciousness never comes in contact with a second thing. What does this mean? One corollary we have to draw from this is, again and again when we say witness consciousness, witness, sakshi, somewhere in the mind is, witness means it must be witnessing something. There must be a something to witness. But Gaudapada here is saying it is not even a witness. Because ultimately, in the ultimate sense, there is nothing to witness other than itself. So, witness consciousness is used only to distinguish yourself from the um, the knowing mind, the worldly knower, the one who goes about in the world and you know uses the five senses to experience the world, the one who studies Vedanta and tries to understand who am I. This is the knower. To distinguish yourself from this, we are used the term witness consciousness, which illumines this knower, which makes this knower possible. But now you take an even higher perspective, Gaurapada's perspective, where this witness consciousness, the knower's mind and body and world are not apart from that witness consciousness. So the witness consciousness is not really witnessing something apart from itself, really speaking. Hence you cannot even call it witness. Okay. If you got it, good for you. There is no use belaboring the point. Uh, yeah. So it is asankramana. It, it does not come into contact with any second reality. Notice, if you don't call it a witness, what will you call it? We are slowly going beyond the limits of language. There is uh, language is always dualistic. So, at most you can call it witness. After this, you have to call it pure consciousness, and then ultimately silence. You can't even use uh, words, but it's there, and it is your own nature. I know there are a lot of questions, but I just want to come to a logical conclusion. One or two more. Uh, verses and then we will stop. So, look at the verse we just did, asankrantam, without non-relation, it does not come into contact with anything, it does not contact any external reality. Therefore, this pure consciousness is said to be asangam, non-attached non-attached in the most profound sense. There are three levels of non-attachment. One might be the one which we practice. I am practicing being detached. I am not getting trapped in samsara and I am being cool and unconcerned. You know. So, a monk for example practices non-attachment. But a deeper than that is consciousness itself which illumines and reveals everything but by its very nature is non-attached. What sticks to consciousness? A very good example is light. So the light here illumines this room. It, re it reveals the book and the laptop and this body. The light reveals all the objects. Objects come and go. The light doesn't come with them. Light doesn't go with them. 
objects are maybe pure and impure it may reveal the image of a deity it may reveal something dirty but the light doesn't become pure or dirty so the light is revealing everything and it reveals itself you don't need another light to reveal this light so the light is self-revealing and revealing everything Subprakasha, and also completely unattached with what it reveals consciousness is like that good for consciousness but I am in trouble you are consciousness okay even this is the middle stage there is a higher stage than this this is what Gaudapada is talking about when you give the light and objects example notice it's still dualistic the light is something maybe unattached very nice but there is a world of objects which are different from the light. There is the light, but there are so many other objects which are not the light. The books and table and people and things like that. Good and bad, all revealed by the light, but they are not the light. It's still dualistic. So this is Sankhya, consciousness and its objects. Gaurapada is saying, even this has to be, you have to go beyond this. This is not enough. These objects, so-called objects, are they really different from you, the consciousness? So, if I had time, I would actually, we can actually demonstrate this, how an object does not exist outside you, the awareness, right now. So, you will see that what seems to be outside, and I am going out there and illumining, actually is in consciousness. There is no difference between me, the pure consciousness, completely untouched, and the objects which arise and disappear in me. That is what he is talking about. And that is the highest non-attachment. So, see, three are non-attachments. One is what we do, a practice of non-attachment detachment, physical level, mental level, then a more profound level of non-attachment, which is consciousness itself, uh, the Sankhyan. And then the highest level of non-attachment is where everything is nothing but the Turiya. With what will it get attached? With what will it get detached also? There is no question of attachment and detachment. Uh, water, can it be attached to the wave or detached from the wave? No. Because there is no wave apart from water. The gold in the ornament, the gold, can it be attached to the necklace or detached from the necklace? No, the question itself does not arise. Because the necklace is nothing apart from the gold. The, our classic example of clay and pot. Can the clay in a pot be attached or detached from? Can the clay practice detachment from the pot? You see, that's silly. Because there is really no pot apart from the clay. There is no universe apart from you. With what will you, are you, do you feel you are attached? With what, what are you practicing detachment? So that's Gaudapada's position, very Ashtavakra kind of position. Alright. So be patient. One more. Number 97. Anu matre pi vai dharmye jayamane vipashchitaha Asangata sada nasti kimutavaranachyutihi. Here he speaks about what happens if there is the slightest bit of duality. So, the translation should there occur any change for anything, however slight it may be, there can never be any non attachment for the non discriminating man. What need one speak of? The destruction of covering for him. Okay, so what is he saying here? If one sees the slightest duality, real duality, huh? actually we are experiencing duality all the time. But what Gaudapada says, what you are experiencing is a false duality, is an appearance. It's, it's not a real second thing apart from me. But if you really feel that there is a second thing, good or bad, apart from me, then samsara starts for you. Why? 
that slightest difference brings in space, time and causation. And there is a, a moment you see that there is an object different from me, then you are located apart from that object, space. And the difference brings about cause and effect, from where did that come, from where did you come and that means change. If change is there, that means time. Time and change means eventual, you know, uh, arising and ceasing, production and destruction, birth and death. So, all of samsara comes in when you see the slightest bit of duality. He says little bit of change also if, if, if you accept. Any acceptance of duality brings in samsara. Upanishads say, dvitiyadvai bhayam bhavati. When the second appears, there is fear, there is anxiety and samsara. When there is something apart from you, there will be raga and dvesha, attraction and repulsion. Either you assign a positive value to it, I like this, I want it, or a negative value, this is bad, I must get rid of it, I don't like it. Raga dvesha comes because it's other than you. And once raga dvesha has come, also relationship will come, sambandha. What is my relationship with this other person, other thing, other place, activity, whatever it is, whatever is other. Do I accept it, reject it, do I like it? Uh, what relationship do I have? So, samsara starts for you. That's what he is saying here. Anu api vai If there is the slightest change, if you accept the anatma, the other than the self, uh, jayaman, if there is a birth or origination, little bit of origination, asangata sada nasti, this highest, this highest non-attachment becomes impossible. Which is the highest non-attachment? What we just spoke about. Gaurapada's non-attachment, not even the Sankhyan non-attachment. Sankhyan non-attachment can exist with a completely material universe. Consciousness material universe just have to separate. Um, and the non-attachment practiced in this world, it could be the monastic non-attachment, it could be the mindfulness kind of non-attachment, uh, witnessing calmness, that can only be practiced in a material world. Uh, so, but the highest non-attachment which he is talking about, that will not exist if there is even the slightest intuition of a second apart from me, a reality. But it is fully compatible with the experience of the universe. You may have a very busy life, full of why only a second, with millions of things in your life and people in your life and um, good things, bad things, problems, as long as you accept that they are all appearances in me, the consciousness, they are not one second reality apart from me. Uh, this is very clear to the enlightened being. There is, the enlightened being has no problem acting in this world, uh, interacting with the world, knowing it all, at all times to be nothing other than Brahman or God. Kimuta um, avaranachyutihi. What to sp speak about? One second. What to speak about? Removal of the covering. So, here is bringing in Advaita. How do we speak about Advaita? You are Brahman. I don't know it. Yes, that is the covering. That's the veil. Maya does two things. Veiling power, projecting power. You don't know it's a rope, veiling power. The reality of the rope is hidden from you. Maybe it's, it, maybe it's dark. And then you projecting power. You make a mistake. It's a snake. It's a snake. We don't know you are, we are Brahman. And immediately you make a mistake. It's a real world. 
It's a real body and mind, and that's the reality. I am this. Now I have to face this world. So there's attraction, and there's repulsion, and fear, and temptation, and all of these thoughts. So, if a person believes that there's really a second reality apart from, from oneself, then your bondage in samsara is, is a real bondage then. Think about it. If there is really no second reality, only you are the only reality, Brahman is the only reality, and we, by ignorance, we feel there is a second. Then knowledge, Advaitic knowledge will come, Shankara and Gaudapada and Mandukya will come, and then you realize non-duality, you are free from it. Knowledge will save you from ignorance. But, if actually a second reality is there apart from you. If there is, it's not that a rope is appearing as a snake. There is a real snake which has come and sitting on the rope. No amount of thinking it's a rope is going to help you. The snake is going to come and bite you. So, if there is a second reality, if there is actually, that actually non-duality is not true, it is actually duality, then there is no question of knowledge removing ignorance. Avarana Chuti means removing the covering of ignorance. All this mandukya and inquiry and all of that, that depends on the, on the assumption, uh, on the axiom that the problem is knowledge and ignorance. That has been established by Shankaracharya in, the, in his introduction to the Brahma Sutra, a classic essay called Brahma Sutra Bhashya, uh, Brahma Sutra Bhashya, Adhyasa Bhashya, the uh, essay on superimposition. That is this truly a problem of ignorance? Anyway, so that's a different topic. But he just says, if there is a second reality, there is no question of removal of uh, ignorance, no question of liberation by knowledge alone. I have told you the story of the, the donkey who was tied with an illusory rope. You know the story that the washerman would take the donkey and with, you have to think of the Indian context, with the um, uh, dirty clothes would pile up the uh, donkey and take it to the river bed and wash clothes all day long and then bring it back and then next day go around the, the village distributing the clean clothes. Now one day he came to wash the clothes and he found that he had forgotten to get the rope to tie the don donkey to a tree and he was um, worried because he was a poor man and the only thing he had was this donkey and if he lost the donkey it's like losing your SUV, you know, then uh, what do you do? Um, so uh, a wise man walked past and uh, said, what's your problem? explained and the wise man said, it's, it's, don't worry, just go near the donkey and pretend as if you're tying it with a rope. Make sure the donkey sees you. That's all. Yes. And he does that. He pretends as if he's tying the donkey like this and the donkey is watching carefully. And then the man goes to the riverbed to wash the clothes and he's looking back and the donkey also looks back at him, but he's standing stop, absolutely stock still, not moving at all. Uh, somebody liked this story. They put it on YouTube with me telling the story. And they had put a, an unfortunate cartoon of me and a donkey, both of us looking at, at each other like this. <laughs> uh, so the donkey is watching him, but not moving at all. And all day this man washed the clothes and the donkey didn't go anywhere. And this man came back, loaded the clean clothes on the donkey and said, let's go. Hut. And the donkey refused to move. Now this problem, see, what a big problem. If there is a rope, you can untie. But if there's no rope, what will you do? What will you untie? And so he goes, rushes to that wise man and says, Now you put me in serious trouble. If I had really tied the donkey, could have untied it, it would be no problem. But 
there is no actual bondage. What do I do? He says, just pretend to untie it. Make sure the donkey sees you. And he does this and donkey is watching. And then he says, let's go. And the donkey starts walking. So Advaita is like that. We suffer from an illusory bondage and we make great efforts to get out of it. And the freedom we gain is like that, the donkey being untied. The donkey being tied and untied is exactly like the bondage and freedom uh, Gaurapada is talking about. But as long as we are in it, it's a very serious affair. Um, so he says, yeah. All right. Um, 98. A question might be asked, ah, Shankaracharya introduces this, he said, ah, Mr. Gaurapada, now I've got you. So you do admit that there is ignorance and ignorance has to be removed. So there is Brahman plus ignorance right now. So there is something to be done. I, I know it's not a real bondage and all of that, but still there is something. And that has to be, uh, you know, undone. Maybe an illusory rope or whatever. So, so this bondage has to be undone. There is something called bondage, and there is something called I grant you your Turiya, Brahman, whatever. So it's duality, and then the action is required, and cause and effect becomes real. Uh, Abhijit asked that question yesterday. That don't aren't you saying when you get knowledge, then you'll be liberated? So there is a causality and time, and here you're talking about. There is a uh, covering which has to be uncovered. What do you say to that? Gaurapada replies in 98. Alabdhavarana sarve dharma prakriti nirmala adau buddha tatha mukta buddhyanta itinayaka. No soul ever came under any veil. They are by nature pure as well as illumined and free from the very beginning. Thus being endowed with the power of knowledge, they are said to know. Typical Gaurapada move. After setting you up, what do they call it? Bait and switch or something like that? He is <laughs> setting you up for that same teaching of non-origination again. He says, what did I say? Did you forget? Adi Buddha, you are um, by nature enlightened from the very beginning. Adi Shanta, all uh, bondage and you know being tied in samsara have, have never been there. From the very beginning you have been free of bondage. So the, actually the donkey example is applicable here. Uh, so all your so-called bondage and liberation is like that illusory tying uh, the donkey and, and liberating the donkey. There is really no bondage and really no um, uh, veil. What does that mean in terms of Advaita ontology? See the way the later, later on it was developed. Um, Gaurapada, Shankara and especially the post-Shankarites. They said the levels of truth, Paramarthika, the absolute level of truth is Turiyam or Brahman which you are. At the Vyavaharika level, transactional truth, uh, rope, snake as an example. Uh, of course, rope is not the ultimate truth, uh, it, it's transactional. But anyway, it's an example. At the level of transactional truth, uh, we talk about Maya and this world being produced and the body and the uh, sentient beings being under the veil of Maya and under the spell of the projecting power of Maya. Maya has two, two powers, uh, Avarana Vikshepa, veiling and projecting. So it veils the reality that you are Brahman 
and it projects you, the Brahman, as this world and then as this knower in Mandukya terms, waker and waker's world. All of this is the veiling power and projecting power of Maya and you have to overcome it, come to class and study about it and think about it, understand it, stay with that knowledge and you become liberated and so on and so forth. All of this is transactional, Vyavaharika, not the ultimate truth. Ultimate truth is, there is no Maya at the level of ultimate truth. There is only Brahmanaturiyam which you are. So this is the distinction. Uh, when you talk, we are talking about veil to be removed, transactional truth, not the ultimate truth. So it is not a second thing apart from Brahman. There is no duality, causality change there. Uh, just as the snake is not a second thing. I see the snake, really it's a rope. How many are there? Count. Apparently two, snake and rope. But no, there is only the rope. It appeared as a snake. There is only Turiyam and Brahman. You, you, are, you are that. and You appear as this world of duality and you attribute it to Maya. That's all at this level of appearance. So therefore, beautiful verse, Alabdhavarana. At no time did you ever come under the veil of Maya. There is no such thing as the veil of Maya. Who survey dharma, not just the enlightened person, not just after enlightenment. At all times, all jivas, dharmas here means the jivas, the sentient beings. Because Prakriti Nirmala, by their very nature, they are pure consciousness. Adau buddhaha. And they are enlightened from the very beginning. They are, in the sense of being pure consciousness, they are pure consciousness to begin with. And always that. Tata mukta. They are always free. It's not that after Vedanta and enlightenment you become free. You just realize that you are always free. Buddhyante. So the donkey realizes I was always free. Even when that man tied me apparently and that man released me apparently, all the time I was free. Iti nāyakaha. These are the ones who are said to be enlightened. Not the one who says, I was in bondage, I did so many spiritual practices, I attended so many classes and now I am enlightened, I am free. No, no, that one is, that one is ignorant. The one who realizes, I was always free. That one is truly enlightened. Who is the knower of Brahman? Who says that? I did not know about Brahman. I studied lots of books, attended many classes, thought about it, meditated a lot. Now I know Brahman. That one does not know Brahman. Who knows Brahman? The one who knows Brahman cannot be known as an object. I am that Brahman. Nisargadatta's thing, I like it very much, where uh, somebody said to him, you are a Brahma Jnani, a knower of Brahman, which is the highest praise you can give in our culture. And Nisargadatta immediately scolded him. You are insulting me. What an insult. How is that an insult? You are the knower of Brahman. You are enlightened. He said, I am not the knower of Brahman. I am Brahman. <laughs> the knower of Brahman is somebody who knows Brahman. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. So this is what he is saying. Always free. Muktaha. You are Brahman. The one who realizes this. Nayaka. Very beautiful. Let's quickly take the questions. There are many raised hands. Jayant? Uh, yes, yes. Yes, Swamiji. Um, I, I wanted to say, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Uh, since we've come to the end of the course, you know, I, I wanted to make one comment and ask one final question. You, you've, you've been very patient with my questions. <laughs> no, no, you ask good questions. <laughs> so the, the comment is that I have to say that nothing have I enjoyed more 
of late than this course and listening to you and, and I've been here uh, since the beginning of this course the last two years so I, I really want to thank you very sincerely for challenging me and uh, uh, anyway my, my question is this and it may sound a little you know impertinent but I, I need to ask it are you as our teacher adopting an agnostic view of Vedanta as my professor Chakrabarti, I mean, if he talks, he's, if he's conducting this course, I would expect a rather clinical academic critique of, of the thing. But you're, you're a, a high monk of the uh, religious order, and, and are you advocating this path, Advaita, as the best path, the sort of the fast lane to enlightenment? In other words, should I regard your conversation talks as prescriptive or instructions to follow this path and not another. So the question is this, um, is this course and what you have been saying in this course, what I have been saying, is this descriptive, am I teaching a text or prescriptive? I would say primarily descriptive. My duty was to teach this text uh, faithfully, right? I am teaching Mandukya, so without diluting it, by the way, if you think uh, people have been saying that it is very hardcore Vedanta and you are taking this ex extreme stance, if you think that, you haven't really seen how it is taught in, <laughs> by the monks in the Himalayas. That is really uncompromising. That is really uncompromising. And that's the way actually it should be taught. I have uh, actually been much more accommodative, rather, more than those monks would be. They are very harsh uh, on anything dualistic. Uh, I remember this physicist in India, he went to a great Advaita teacher at that time who has passed on since and that Advaita teacher asked him, what do you do? He said, I, I study, I'm a, physicist, a physicist, I'm a researcher. He said, oh, physics, science, uh, that's superstition, give it up, come to <laughs> Vedanta. From a Vedantic perspective, however horrifying it may seem, science and what, you, what passes for conventional religion and all our worldly dualistic transactions are superstitions, are weaknesses, uh, are, to put it that in some way, unless it is used for Vedanta and realization, any other worldly usage is a waste of time. <laughs> the, the world has its use. The only use is study Gaudapada and Mandukya and become free. That's the only use of the world. That, that's the only thing it's meant for. And, and they are right in a sense. If you argue with them logically, they, are, they, have, they are logically very tight. Uh, there is no escape from that, uh, from what they are trying to say. So I have been actually much more uh, sort of uh, accommodative. Now, is it prescriptive? That is in a, uh, I would say a corollary, a secondary thing. First of all, it's a teaching of Mandukya. If you want to learn what this text says on its own um, uh, merits, that's what I've done. And that's what I wanted to do. Prescriptive, yes and no. If And many of us here are spiritual practitioners. So many, most, if not almost all, all of us. So if you're asking, what should I do with this? One is, my answer is, the best and safest path, most wholesome path, is what Swami Vivekananda has recommended. And I also follow that personally. And I would wholeheartedly recommend it to everybody. Study this. Understand it, appreciate it on its own merits. But let it be part of your spiritual journey. And don't be limited by it. 
Sri Ramakrishna used to say when you sing the scales, Sare um, Gama, so the highest is the knee, at the highest, the high pitch. And Sri Ramakrishna says, one cannot always stay there. That's this, the highest pitch. <laughs> one cannot always. See, the, the peak of the Everest is a magnificent place, but it's also utterly inhospitable to life. It's, it's a terrifying place to be. So, um, yeah. So, this can be part of your spiritual journey. It should be assimilated um, as a part of a well-formed spiritual personality, which should have, according to Vivekananda, philosophy, meditation, devotion and service uh, as its components. I remember when I was studying, I was in the Himalayas, a very extreme kind of life. I was leading in a, a little cot, a cottage there, 10,000 feet perched high up on the mountain side and I thought I was really now being spiritual. It's exactly what I imagined being spiritual to be. There's this other much more senior monk staying close to me in another cottage who called me and asked, asked me, what, young monk, what are you studying? Mahatmaji, what are you studying these days? I had gone with one book, Ashtavakra. If there's one book more extreme than Gaudapada, it is Ashtavakra. I'd gone with that. So, what does Ashtavakra do? It takes the ultimate teaching of Gaudapada, what we have reached now, and just that. No more, um, you know, arguments, um, no more uh, methods, just the ultimate conclusion and asks you to stay there. Um, so, when I showed him that, he said, that's all right, that's very good. And then he gave me another book, Vishnu Sahasranama, a very bhakti book, a thousand names of Vishnu, with a commentary on each name, which are all very devotional, dualistic texts. And he said, read this also. And then he said, Nahi to pan chubega. Uh, loneliness will bite you, young monk. Because we are on the path, we are not Gaurapada. We are not at that, but we don't have the perspective of Gaurapada. It's no use trying to pretend that we have. It's, it's much easier, much better to acknowledge the way we are right now and take this and walk towards it. So, what he recommended was a balance of these. Notice Swami Vivekananda, if, if that physicist had gone to Swami Vivekananda and said a physicist, Swami Vivekananda would have been very happy and would have wanted to know what would be a scientific perspective of say the metaphysics of Sankhya and all. That's what he did with Tesla. He was very interested. Um, he, instead of saying, oh, all that's uh, superstition, from one perspective it is, but that's not a helpful perspective. And that's not Sri Ramakrishna's approach either. Hmm. Should I leave it at that? Yes. Thank you. There is another way of attaining this knowledge. One way is like Gaurapada, Shravana Manana Nididhyasana, come to these classes, think about it, work it out for yourself and stay with that truth until you realize it. Another way is, the Divine Mother. Um, Ma Sharada was in Banaras at that time and Swami Brahmananda was there, President of the Order and other monks. And uh, he sent word to the Holy Mother. No, the Holy Mother sent word to Swami Brahmananda, President of the Order and a mystic of the highest order. Um, so, sent word to him, said, ask him, why should one worship the Divine Mother? Meaning not herself, just the Divine Mother of the universe. If you want enlightenment, why should you worship the Divine Mother? And Swami Brahmananda sent back his reply. He says, because the keys to Brahma Jnana are in the hands of the Divine Mother. Brahma Jnana Chabikati Mahamaya Arhate. So, yeah. 
this you have to take on faith. I'm saying it in all seriousness, not just to you, but to everybody. There is this other way. If you take refuge in God, refuge in the Divine Mother, uh, this same knowledge in its fullest dimension, can, you can get it just like that. Effortlessly. It can be given to you. And it has happened. Sri Ramakrishna is the testimony to that. Sri Ramakrishna says, whatever is in the Veda and Vedanta, my mother has shown me. But it has happened afterwards also. Without going through this kind of process, it's going through a different process, a devotional process. But just by praying to, the, to God, let's just say to the Divine Mother, and you suddenly get this, this breakthrough happens. That's also possible. Yeah. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Swamiji, thank you very much for giving us an in-depth uh, uh, knowledge of uh, Advaita Vedanta. I wanted to ask you about the Turiya Avastha. As I understand... Let me stop you right there. It is not yes. an Avastha. Ah, this Turiya. Turiya is not an Avastha. What is Avastha? Avastha means a, a, a stage or a, or a condition. or a, yeah. um, So, uh, waking, dreaming and deep sleep. These are the Avasthas. Turiya is not an Avastha. Yeah. No, no. So, I was asking about waking, uh, sleeping and dreaming also. As far as that is concerned, then the waking is uh, the only one which is better for our meditation and getting into the real state. What so is the real state? Meditative state and, you know, being a part of Brahman and things like that because that's the time you can really concentrate hmm. when you're when, when you're awake. Hmm. So... So then uh, sometimes, you know, at night, like when you're feeling sleepy, you want to lie down and pray. Is that all right to do it? Of course, of course. Of course, anything, anything and everything that takes you towards this is, is all right. See, one might ask after all these condemnation of dualism. So our dual, it's clearly a dualistic worship that we do. My Lord, I worship my Lord. It's dualistic. So is Gaurapada condemning it? And he's saying that, for these people, there is, there is no hope <laughs> uh, who keep on saying uh, that I am different from God. I clearly think I am different from God and I am this poor little being and I am worshipping God. So is that hopeless? No, 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 no. There is a duality which traps you in samsara, which is most of samsara. But there is a duality which helps you to get free from duality. So you use that duality to get free from duality and Gaurapada will be all blessings for it. See, there are other texts written by Gaurapada. Very few people know about them. There is a commentary on the Sankhya Karika. Not, not a particularly good one. It is attributed to Gaurapada. I have read that. That is a small text. But there is a very esoteric, tantric text which is written by Gaurapada called Subhagodaya. I have a copy of that. But it is a very rare book. It is very difficult. It is about the worship of the Divine Mother. Who is writing that? Gaurapada. So yes, praying to God, meditating, love of God in any way, that itself is freeing. It takes you towards enlightenment. So what is the name of the book you said, Swamiji? Oh, see, this is the problem. Ah, I must get that book. It's called Subhagodaya, but I don't think it's easily available. I got it from, uh, in Haridwar in a rare bookshop. Subhagodaya. Let me write it down. Subhagodaya. It's a tantric book. Tantric. Yeah. And one more small question I have, Swamiji, is that uh, in Sri Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna says to Arjuna not to uh, ask too many questions. 
So I sometimes, you know, even if I want to ask, I keep quiet. I say, you know, no, no, no. Let everybody say so I will understand from them not to say. True. Is it right? Both ways. You can you, you can ask questions. And the good thing is to listen to the questions of others and ans and answers. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes they are our questions, and sometimes person asking is so caught up in the question that they don't absorb the answer. But people who are listening absorb the answer. Sometimes it happens. I have seen that. Yes. Very good. For me, Swamiji, my meditation is much better, I must tell you, because you reminded me of Hiranagarbar and you also said Sachidanand. And so my meditation is much better. Thank you so much. Really. Very good. Very good. Very good. One thing I want to uh, uh, mention, I would have mentioned at the end is, so Vedanta is repetitive. That means, um, you know, uh, are you enlightened at the end of all of this? And we scratch our head, you're not quite. All right. What is the answer, <laughs> solution? Repeat the whole thing. So, and they say wash and rinse again <laughs> and then again wash. So, Sravana Manana Niridhyasana. And uh, it's a good thing is that the entire uh, text is now available with this class once it will be uploaded. The whole text of the Mandukya Karika, all the chapters. We have been at it for nearly three years, I think. And now it's all uploaded freely available. You can repeat. Uh, all right. So, in, uh, since I was going to say this at the end, but no, now because she has asked, the recommendation about this is one should repeat this text. If you can listen from the beginning to the end, very good. If you can't do that, just the first chapter. There are a few um, classes which are all there. Chapter one. If not, not that also. Just the talk. I think one or two talks were there on seventh mantra. That's the most important text of the whole book. The seventh mantra of Mandukya Upanishad. Nanta pragyam na bahish pragyam na bhayata pragyam na pragyana ghanam. What is the Thuryam? That mantra is very powerful. It's one of the highest, most sublime parts of Vedantic texts. So just that, I think there were two talks about it. If you just repeat that, that's also good enough. That's the essence of the whole teaching. Very good. Jayant? Uh, when you're next. Maharaj, Sri Ramakrishna over and over again says, that uh, Shakti and Brahman are two sides of the same coin. Yes. For example, uh, Brahman and Shakti is like fire in its power to burn. Yes. Would Gaurapada utterly reject this idea? He would probably would. One has to be honest about that. So it is his perspective. There's only one reality. Uh, if you give equal reality to Shakti, then what will happen is, um, the manifestations of Shakti, it will lead to a kind of dualism. Even that non-dualism of say Kashmiri Shaivism, there is an element of dualism there. Uh, strictly speaking, Gaurapada would not go down that line. Though, we are speaking only in the Mandukya Karika realm. Remember, we are in the context of this. As I just said, Gaurapada wrote a whole book about Shakti. So, what he is doing in practice is something beyond just this text. He's like Shankara. Also that is true. Worship Divine Mother. Just today we were um, uh, we were chanting in that hymn to Divine Mother, Prakritim Paramam. So at the end it is said, Bhakti Vigyana Datri. Uh, what does she give? She gives two things, Divine Mother. One is Vigyana, the highest non-dual wisdom, which is this. She gives this. And she gives devotion to God. In life, this is what is to be aimed at. They are not two different things actually. We have seen one side of it. Uh, if you try to just hold on to this, 
I was lucky to have that old monk sitting there uh, next in the next cottage who told me, cultivate it, but also cultivate bhakti. And one realizes this is just an expression of the same uh, truth, same realization. It just seems to be different. Swami, somebody asked Swami Vigyananandaji, the disciple of Sri Ramakrishna. So are the paths of bhakti and jnana uh, different? The, they had some devotees were having a quarrel about it. And so Swami Vigyananandaji said, why don't you speak about it? And they talked about it, debated in front of him. Finally, they asked him, they couldn't come to a conclusion. They asked him, what do you think? And he said, as paths, they are different. But where they lead to, that reality is the same. A truly fulfilling spiritual life will have both of these. Will have both of these. Devotion and knowledge. Yes. Jayant? Amitesh? Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you. How are you? Okay. Good, Maharaj. Yes. Maharaj, I would like to thank you very much. And also, Maharaj, I have one question. So, a person who is attaining uh, the Samadhi, so, so in the Samadhi, can I say it as a state, Samadhi state? Yes. Samadhi is a state. All kinds of Samadhis are states except the final and highest one, which you might call, in Advaita it is called Sahaja Samadhi, which is what actually Gaudapada is speaking about. When you realize that you are the Thuriyam, and yet from our perspective, you are still in that Amitesh body. You're still ha you seem to have a personality. So what is your state then? Well, that's a state because you are in this particular body and mind. The, we call you the Jivan Mukta, the enlightened being from our state. If we ask you, you would say, I am the Turiyam. I, I have no state. I am the reality of all states. But from our perspective, you are this um, uh, person and, and that state we will call it Sahaja Samadhi. Where it is not a Samadhi where you cut off the external world and withdraw inside and remain absorbed in that reality. But with eyes closed and eyes open, you see the same reality. So that, that, that state is permanent and that is the same as Brahman. Okay, now here in the samadhi state, like uh, the the person can he identify himself with the identity which is associated with the waker in the waking world? Certainly, in most samadhis. Remember, some there are many many samadhis except the nirvikalpa samadhi, the highest one, or the asampragyata samadhi. There is uh, an, a personal identity still remaining. So. When in a samadhi, when a person is having a vision of a deity, Ishta Devata Darshan, so is their personal identity, is it still there? Yes, it is there. Without that, you cannot have a vision of deity. Who is having the vision then? Yeah. But the focus is not on, on oneself. Yeah. Okay, and in the Nirguna Samadhi, like if I consider it, the Nirguna Samadhi is the highest. Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Yeah. Nirvikalpa Samadhi is the highest possible state. Uh, in that particular uh, state, like some some uh, person can come back to the uh, waking identity or in the in, in his waker world. Mm. So at that point of time, uh, who is taking that decision? Consciousness can take the decision to return back to the waking world. Consciousness neither goes nor returns. Samadhi is attained by the mind. By an effort, the mind goes into samadhi. And by because of prior karma, the mind again reawakens from samadhi. And there are multiple stages. There is a stage in which it reawakens from samadhi back into this worldly awareness. 
with the knowledge of course. Um, there is a stage where it, you cannot reawaken. It, it has to be pulled out by external, um, you know, like Sri Ramakrishna used to teach people around him, repeat this mantra, do this when I am in this samadhi, then I can come back. And then there is a final state when by, neither by oneself nor by anybody else the mind can co uh, come out of the samadhi. And in that samadhi, 21 days Sri Ramakrishna says, uh, the, after that the body and mind drop off. Uh, so, uh, but notice, Gaudapada, he will say this is out of syllabus. And he, <laughs> have you noticed in this text, he is not interested in these things. For him, these are very low things. He is talking about consciousness itself. You are talking about mind. Mind can be in a worldly state. It can be in waking, dreaming, deep sleep. It can go into samadhi. But Gaudapada is saying that to whom? In what reality? What is the reality in which mind is doing all these things? That is Turi and that's what Gaudapada is interested in. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Swamiji, thank you so much for all your guidance and let us be God's praises. I am sitting on the other side of the room. So, I just wanted to ask, how do we deal with the situation when we identify with the ego which is becoming more and more spiritual? The ego is becoming more and more spiritual. Yes, in the sense that at first we think that uh, we were worldly, we were trying for some kind of worldly success and happiness in the world. And slowly we begin to lose interest and we see that it does not work that way. We become aware of the possibility of spiritual life. And that awareness also develops from being uh, maybe ritualistic to becoming uh, maybe devotional or meditative to becoming philosophical to finally coming to somebody like uh, Gaurapada. And that's how Gaurapada would see the mountain of spirituality <laughs> coming. And he's of course at the top. So this whole process from the worldly ego to the spiritual ego is still vyavaharika, transactional and still ego-based. Now at this level the ego becomes aware through the process of knowledge, becomes aware that I am not the final I. The My reality is not this thought of I. I am being witnessed, illumined by consciousness beyond me. So the identity shifts from ego to sakshi. You regard yourself not as that I thought which was going on. Till now we could not differentiate between the I thought and the uh, Sakshi. Now you begin to differentiate. You begin to see, I am the witness of the I. With Shankaracharya, now you understand when he says, in the very first line of Nirvana Shatakram, Mano buddhi ahankara chittani naham. I am not the mind. I am not the intellect. I am not the memory. I am not the ego. If you translate, that sounds so paradoxical. Ego means I. I am not I. What does it mean I am not I? How can I be not I? So the real I is the witness of this ego. And that becomes clear at this stage. It's still also part of the transactional thing. And then one, one shifts the identity to the witness consciousness, understands what the witness consciousness is with the help of the intellect only. And one is finally free of the whole chain from ego downwards. The spiritual ego is what Sri Ramakrishna calls Pakaami, the ripe ego. The spiritual ego, what do you mean by spiritual ego? It will always identify itself either as a, de a devotee, he says, I am the servant of the Lord, that's a spiritual ego. Or, I am Jidananda Rupa Hashivoham, I am pure consciousness. So, 
Isn't that the ultimate reality? No, even there, there is a play of the mind. It's still, the mind is still working. That's the spiritual ego. Uh, the ultimate reality will be silence. Very good. One more, then we have to do two. Yeah. Yes. Uh, again, thank you very much. This is fantastic. I don't know how to express myself. But anyway, we talk about duality is fear, causes fear. Yes. But there is also fear in, in knowing what the, the other side means. Yes. And as a householder, sometimes you wonder if you cross that line. Yes. Will you be able to come back? Or, and also, Gaurapada talks about like, uh, like the Muni. Hmm. Uh, he says, uh, so what does that mean? So this is a good question. How can, over, how can one overcome that? So this is one the good question because there is fear associated with non-duality also. Wasn't Swami Vivekananda terrified when Sri Ramakrishna tried to give him that, that experience? Wasn't uh, at, a, at a different level of course, wasn't Arjuna terrified when uh, he had this awesome spiritual experience in the 11th chapter of the Gita and that was not a non-dual experience, that was still a dualistic experience and that was the level of experiencing the Virat, the cosmic waking state. Um, so there is fear associated with spirituality but you have to ask the question whose fear? It is the fear of the ego and it's associated, you know, it's, it's, it's gang, it's, it's friend, it's the, the intellect and the worldly intellect and the mind and the associated worldly samskaras, they are terrified. They don't want this. Since we are identified with that, we feel that fear. Let me tell you a funny thing uh, which happened. Swami Bhuteshanandaji was the 12th president of the order. So we used to take all our, we means not me, the senior Swamis and we would all watch. They would take the questions to him. They asked him the question, why was there fear? Why did Vivekananda or Arjuna and other great and, uh, you know, spiritual seekers, when they, at the verge of vision, why do they feel terror and shrink back from it? So he said, Bhutishanji said that, um, see, imagine everything disappearing. The world, that means the reality of the world, your own body, your mind, your identity, whoever you thought you were, that's just disappearing into a vastness. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be terrified? So this discussion went on, but the funny thing happened at the end. When the Swami asked a counter question, he gave a reply and then finally, you know, he, was, he had a very deadpan expression and he would speak very slowly. And he would always remind me of Mark Twain who was asked to hurry up and he said, I have only two speeds, this one and slower. <laughs> so Swami Bhuteshanji was like that. Uh, so at the end he said, uh, but you lot need have no fear. You lot means there are all of us, the monks there. At first, we didn't get what he meant. He meant that you're never going to get this experience anyway, so you needn't be afraid of it. And then when we realized it was a, a howl of protest, Swami, what are his, he's the head of the order and we are all, all, all monks who want this. So he says, Swami, what are you saying? And he was, uh, he just he refused to smile or anything. He just kept, he was very deadpan humor, dry humor like this. He said, you lot needn't be afraid of it. This is not going to happen to you. Um, okay, let me, yeah, so one must break through that fear. It's you who recognize that fear. That fear belongs to the mind, not to the consciousness. Alright, let me just go ahead and bring it to a grand conclusion. Two beautiful verses. 99. Kramate nahi buddhasya 
ज्ञानम धर्मेशुतायिना सर्वे धर्मा तथा ज्ञानम नैतद्बुद्धेन भाषितम द नॉलेज ऑफ द एनलाइटेंड मैन हु इज ऑल परवेसिव डज नॉट एक्सटेंड टू ऑब्जेक्ट्स ऑल द सोल्स ऑल्सो लाइक नॉलेज डू नॉट रीच आउट टू ऑब्जेक्ट्स दिस व्यू वॉज नॉट एक्सप्रेस बाय द बुद्ध सो क्रमते न ही बुद्धस्य द एनलाइटेंड वन हियर बुद्ध मीन्स एनलाइटेंड इन द फर्स्ट लाइन इन द सेकेंड लाइन द बुद्ध मीन्स द बुद्ध the buddha so he says so really speaking the knowledge of the enlightened one that means the very self of the enlightened one which is pure consciousness does not come into contact with any object because there is no second object by now we know he has told us ad nauseum that there is no second object to come into contact with just as the gold doesn't come really come into contact with the ornament the water doesn't come into contact with a wave similarly not the clay with the pot similarly consciousness never comes in contact with its so called objects even while experiencing everything in the world what an amazing insight um and then he says taina for this all because who is this enlightened being is not a man not a enlightened not even a jivan mukta like nisargadatta he says he is the all pervading brahman tai means all pervading not only the enlightened being you see सर्वे धर्मा तथा ज्ञानम ऑल द रेस्ट ऑफ अस हु थिंक वी आर नॉट येट एनलाइटन वी वुड लाइक टू गेट दैट एनलाइटनमेंट दोज हु डोंट बिलीव इन एनी ऑफ दिस एट ऑल से दिस ऑल नॉन सेंस एंड सुपरस्टेशन एंड ऑल आउटडेटेड स्टफ हु केयर्स ऑल ऑफ अस आर दैट इन्फिनिट लिमिटलेस कॉन्शियसनेस विदाउट एन ऑब्जेक्ट विदाउट अ सेकेंड नॉन ड्यूअल कॉन्शियसनेस एंड देन ही सेज नईतद बुद्धे न भाषितम दिस टीचिंग वॉज नॉट गिवन बाय द बुद्धा which is a strange snarky comment to make at the very end and shankaracharya comments there in his commentary shankaracharya says uh, he uses the term um advaita tattva advaita vastu samipyam very close to the non duality and then he says upanishad revealed by the upanishads the buddha he meant uh, shankar also mentions the buddha so the buddha comes very close to the non duality mentioned in the upanishads and then he says why because he denied the reality of an external world bahyartha external world that there are real entities outside the buddha sh- showed that buddha and buddhists they showed that there, it's not so there is no real external world apart from consciousness and the internal there is only consciousness within so uh, he says the buddha comes very close to this non dual teaching which is from the upanishads he also adds that shankaracharya this is from the upanishads and therefore it makes what he means is it makes sense for gaudapada to say it was not a teaching of the this was not a teaching of the buddha um, it's a hotly contested uh, debated area a lot of scholars have worked on it many many views are there uh, uh, i have anyway this is an entirely different subject maybe we'll talk about it on the wednesday class uh, when i talk about my experiences with uh, the buddhism courses at harvard okay now the last verse Hundred, he end, ends at hundred. Durdarsham ati gambhiram, ajam samyam visharadam, buddha padamananatvam, namaskurmo yathabalam. After realizing that state of non-duality, which is inscrutable, uh, very profound, birthless, uniform, and holy. we make our obeisance to it 
to the best of our ability. And this place, I think uh, somebody would jump upon, Pujaji would jump upon me and say, Swami, you said not, no state. And uh, here he says state. It's just a way of expressing. Actually, it's a translation. Gaurapada himself does not say stage. What does he say? Durdarsham. It's very difficult to, to grasp. Why? Because it is subtle, it is non-objective. Whatever we have grasped till now is an object. Remember the story of the ten friends who went out for a stroll and then they thought that their friend was drowned in the river and they counted, they could count only nine because they were leaving themselves out, each person who counted. Because it's, we are always looking out into an objective world and not counting the subject. Because it's a subject, because it's the pure subject, it's very durdarsham, very, very profound, very inscrutable, very subtle. Atigambhiram, extraordinarily profound. Gambhiram, profound or serious. So, the most profound thing. Uh, sam, then he uses this most beautiful phrase, Ajam Samyam Visharadam, the unoriginated consciousness, Samyam, everywhere, all the time, in all experiences, in everything, it is the same one consciousness. Visharadam, the most holy. I salute, we salute, Namaskurmo, uh, Yathabalam, with all our, our heart, we salute this. He, so, he is saluting Turiya here. Somebody would, who wants to quibble would say, how do you salute Turiya? Isn't it dualistic to salute the Turiya? So, he, has, he says, how do you salute? Buddha, by knowing, by realizing that I am the Turiya. This is the real salutation to Brahman, to realize that you are Brahman. Okay. So that brings us to the end of our journey with Gaudapada, the Mandukya Karika. Nearly three years, I think we have been at it. In between, of course, there was a long gap of one year because uh, I had to take that break for the Divinity School Fellowship. This is the highest, the final, the most powerful and the smallest, the shortest of the Upanishads. I'll end with a story with which I had begun nearly three years ago. We know the story of Hanuman and Ramchandra. Hanuman asks Sri Ramachandra, how does one get liberation? And Sri Ramachandra says, Mandukyam ekam evalam mumukchunam vimuktai. So this is actually apparently, it's there in the Muktika Upanishad, which I have not read myself, uh, one of the minor Upanishads. Mandukya by itself is enough to give liberation to those who seek liberation. A lot is packed into that. So those who want liberation, for them this one text is enough. Now, supposing you don't get liberation, that might be our question, except the fortunate few who have got liberation. Those of the rest of us who still feel that we are not enlightened yet and we, have not, that we are not liberated, then Sri Ramachandra gives a list of 108 Upanishads. If you have not done it yet, then here, here is the rest of the library for you. So, we are going to now take the scenic route. We went straight to the top of the mountain. Though Ramachandra recommended it, this is not a wise way of teaching. There is actually a syllabus which the monks in the Himalayas follow and the Mandukya is not at the beginning of it at all. Uh, so, any good way of teaching would keep it at the end or somewhere later on. But I was ambitious in a hurry, so I thought we should get a view from the Everest first, see the final teaching first, uh, whatever can be said except maybe the Ashtavakra. So, see this first 
and then make our way down and then climb back up but this time taking the scenic route exploring the beautiful valleys so we will we will study the other upanishads now uh, we will study the katha upanishad the mundaka upanishad we will study the isha upanishad the kena upanishad we will study uh, one chapter that's my feeling i mean that's my plan at least of the taittiriya upanishad um, two chapters of the Chandogya Upanishad and two chapters of the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. So this is my plan for the years ahead. It's a really scenic route and it's much more, it's not this kind of, um, you know, uh, you, you feel breathless when you hear these things in Mandukya. If you follow it seriously, it just <laughs> makes you feel lightheaded. But the scenic route is, you, you'll come across stories, you'll come across descriptions of different practices, uh, there'll be teachers and students, there'll be humor and, uh, and also these teachings, uh, maybe in a much more digestible form. So that's the, the journey, the long journey is now beginning. All right, uh, comments, questions, we still have a few minutes. Jayant? Jayant, did he get liberation? He, no, he's uh, there. Swamiji, Swamiji uh, yes. I am blessed that I find that all the doubts, I have now complete clarity. But one needs to, I think, go through it again and again. So what is the best translation uh, with the original text that you would recommend for the Mandukya as well as for Ashtavakra? For Mandukya Upanishad, uh, I would recommend, and for the journey ahead, in fact, over the next few years, this eight Upanishads by Swami Gambhiranandaji, uh, Advaita Ashram, it's available from Vedanta Press. Two volumes are there. This is the second volume. It contains Mandukya. So, Swami Gambhiranandaji was very accurate. Uh, if you want to, the original Sanskrit text of the Mandukya in Upanishad and Karikas is here, and the, a very precise accurate translation of Shankara's commentary is there. Not the original uh, Sanskrit, but just an English translation of Shankara's commentary. But it's very precise. Uh, he was a very exact Out man. Yeah. So, um, so I would recommend this. And the, uh, and the, uh, the other one which is available is, uh, of course, Swami Nikhilanandaji's translation of the Upanishads, including the Mandukya Upanishad, which is also, in fact, it's more popular here in the West. Um, four volumes, Nikhilanandaji's work or a single volume, the Mandukya. And he has extensive uh, introductions and uh, so, uh, so yes, these are the two which I would recommend. And also the other book which, which I recommended to um, Prabir Babu, uh, Dennis Waite's book, Om, A-U-M, Om, Dennis Waite's uh, book um, on the Mandukya. You got it already? Is it thanks to Amazon Prime? No, I got I also want to mention that I found Swami Paramatma these lectures. Yeah. On uh, very useful. Very useful. I really like them. In fact, Dennis Waite has used Swami Paramatma's lectures. At the end, he mentions yeah. that a um, lot of his what he is saying is based on Paramatma's uh, lectures. And also, let me just mention since we are um, since she asked about the books, Hindi. Those who know Hindi, there are. I mean, a lot of things that I say are, are from those sources. So, there are these four-volume work by uh, Akhandananda Saraswati, four-volume work. Um, I have got here the last volume. 
this is the Mandukya Karika Akhandanda Saraswati. It is available only in Hindi, four volumes. Most impressive work. Akhandanda Saraswati. So, four volumes, and the other one is uh, the Gaudapada Sara. Gaudapada, again only in Hindi, uh, by Maheshananda Giri. That is two volumes. Gaudapada Sara. Uh, unfortunately, there are no English translations of these ones. These are extensive commentaries. He was one of the greatest uh, scholar saints of the 20th century in Hinduism, Akhandanda Saraswati. And all these Gita press books which we read in, in Hindi. Upanishads and all of that, they were his translations. So, um, Gaudapada Sara in uh, Hindi, two volumes, and Akhandanda Saraswati's Mandukya Karika in four volumes, one for each chapter. Fantastic work. But, but Maharaj, since you mentioned Om, I, I, one thing I didn't like, I think this light is Swami Vivekananda. Alright, so there are little topics we can take up slowly over time. Uh, yes. Yes. Swamiji, just a quick thanks for letting me join the classes live at the tail end. And I just want to thank you and all the people who have attended these classes and their insightful questions and your answers have helped me a great deal on all the team who has done the podcast. True, true. Valuable resources for people like me who didn't have the opportunity to attend these classes live. True. But they are just tremendous sources uh, for this knowledge, which I think is invaluable for anyone who can lay their hands on it. So I'm eternally thankful to you and all the people who have attended these classes and asked these questions over the years. Yep. It's been extremely insightful. Thank you. Thank you for your participation and your questions. Others have also mentioned to me how good your questions and deep your questions are. Yes, thank you so much. Um, Babu, you're one second, let me just see. Uh, Babu, before you ask, there was one comment which caught my eye. Um, Shravani, are all schools of Vedanta technically non-dual, unlike Sankhya, etc., in Bhakti schools, everything, Jiva, etc., in dependent realities? No, only Advaita is really non-dual, though you have, I think at one time it became fashionable to call your school non-dual. So, Vishishta Advaita is qualified non-dualism. Shuddha Advaita is pure non-dualism, which is actually, if you look at it, is pure dualism, um, where Krishna is the non-dual reality. Uh, then, uh, Shuddha Advaita, uh, Dvaita Advaita, duality and non-duality of Nimbarka Acharya, uh, then Achintya Bheda Bhed of the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. So, they all claim some kind of non-duality, but uh, Shankara's Advaita in contrast to them is called Kevala Advaita, only non-duality. So, if you say non-duality, you know, in fact, if you look at it this way, um, all the other schools of, of Vedanta have one thing in common, they are all paths of Bhakti. They are all devotional schools. All other schools of Vedanta are all devotional schools. So, that is why Swami Tapasyanandaji has written a classic book, Bhakti Schools of Vedanta. So, where he has included all the other schools except Advaita Vedanta. Uh, yeah. And the non-Vedantic schools are all dualistic. Nyaya is dualistic, Vaisheshika is dualistic, Sankhya is dualistic, Purva Mimamsa, Yoga, they are all dualistic schools. In Buddhism, um, except for a variety of Madhyamaka Buddhism and 
one variety of the Vijnanava, the, the so-called mind-only and emptiness school, a synthesis of which is the foundation for Tibetan Buddhism today. Uh, that's non-dualistic, but others are dualistic. Okay, Babu. Hi Swamiji, Hello. Uh, you talked about, uh, I, I, I started late uh, joining the classes, you talked about inter-observance uh, consistency, how it's not attendance the wakeful state as being the state, where is that further expounded, which chapters or which lecture? Um, go to, go to, yes, uh, intersubjective uh, agreement, so you go to um, the uh, second chapter second chapter where Gaurapada dismisses all the attempts to distinguish waking state from dream state. So, one of the arguments is in waking state we are all seeing the same thing, yes, we are all seeing and we all agree that we see the same, the cup is there, you see it, your friend sees it, um, your family members see the cup, so the cup must be an external real cup, that is what we say. So, yes. yeah, so how would Gaurapada respond to that, why would he say that it is like a dream? So, I see a cup in my dream, nobody else has seen it, but this one everybody else sees. It is very easy for Gaurapada to deal with it. Gaurapada says, in your dream also there is intersubjective experience. In your dream, if you are having a cup of coffee with friends, uh, you, it never happens that I am seeing a cup of coffee. My friends, do you not see the cup of coffee? All your friends in the dream also will see the cup of coffee. In a particular stage, there is always, in the state itself, there is always intersubjective experience. There is no intersubjective experience uh, across the states. For example, what you consider real because we all agree upon it. That thing is not present in your dream also. There is no intersubjective experience across waking and dreaming. So, that is what he will say. Yeah. But, I have to think about uh, But you can think, uh, yeah, it is very interesting. But his arguments are very simple and powerful. And if you want a concise English exposition of it, um, Swami Nikhilanandaji in his four volumes on the Upanishads, in the volume which has Mandukya, he has written a special appendix where he just considers this question. That Gaurapada reduces waking to dream, he erases the difference between them. Ten objections to Gaurapada's position and uh, how Gaurapada re uh, responds to those ten objections. One of them is this intersubjective agreement. In the wakeful world, you are a person and you have your own uh, consciousness, wakefulness, uh, sleepiness and dream state. Are you projecting another? Uh, world and I am projecting another world. Yeah, so that, that would be that would be idealism. Uh, uh, Upanishad does not take that route. That would be a, like the mind-only school of Buddhism. That we are all consciousness streams working in parallel. Uh, there is no external world. All worlds are projected by the consciousness itself and each of us projects. But there is some kind of intersubjective experience produced by uh, similar karma. Now, we discussed this in our um, um, Indian classical Buddhism course at Harvard also. How is this possible? But this is a very complicated way of going about it. Uh, Manduke says, just take a common sense approach. Here is a world and we are all in this world and we are sharing it. We are not projecting it. Um, the cosmic mind of Hiranyagarbha is projecting this world and it is common to all of us. Just as your mind is projecting your dream world, which is common to all the dream subjects in your dream. Similarly, imagine a cosmic mind which is producing this. If that is also too much, we can bring modern science into it. Imagine a material world produced by Big Bang and this, this is the physical world which we all share. That is why we have intersubjective experience. Even from there, you can go back to uh, the uh, Turiya of, of Mandukya. That is a big subject. Uh, 
let's take one or any more comments yes the journey ahead yes so we will accept for the special class on wednesday it's not a class it's just an informal uh, discussion and slideshow and storytelling uh, same time 7:30 wednesday but uh, other than that we won't have uh, classes till we reopen in the fall and we'll try to keep this um, internet community going so even if we have actual physical classes if things open up um, we'll try to arrange our it team will work on it so that uh, the zoom uh, people can still tune in and watch at least some of them if not it will be uploaded in any way so um, the recordings will always be uploaded i pray to sri ramakrishna to the holy mother to swami vivekananda to shankara gaudapada and line of advaita teachers may this teaching be luminous in our lives may it become may we become illumined may we realize this as our identity as our real nature in this very life itself i was going to say and be free and i could just see gorapada sort of rolling his eyes and he was saying that you are already free um maybe realize that by the blessings of this uh, ancient line of uh, teachers om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna arpanam astu let me see all of you before we all disappear thank you very much thank you so much thank you there's so many wonderful uh, comments in the chat you should take a look uh, before the chat disappears thank you sami thank you so much thank you thank you good to see you all yes so people from all across the country uh, and across the world yes yes namaskar namaskar Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Thank you so much. Yes. Zoom classes. Don't don't delete them. Yes. Otherwise we can't attend. We will we'll try to continue the Zoom. Our IT people are there. They'll think up something to even if if we have physical classes, we'll still have some kind of Zoom classes. And Zoom classes are pretty interactive. They're working out quite well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Take care. Namaskar namaskar so jai shri ram krishna may the lord bless us all may the lord protect us all yes thank you so much thank you so much